Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lambs. So for everyone whose uh, very first episode was last episode, and you thought, wow, this uh, draft-focused podcast episode is releasing on the Tuesday before the draft open. This is probably quality content. I should listen to that to learn about what's going to happen with this draft open. I apologize. We recorded that way in advance. Last episode was a total mess, and so if that was your first episode, I apologize to you. That was not, in fact, anything to do with the draft open. That was mostly just Hats and I goofing off. This episode, though, episode 105, is about the draft open and preparing everyone for it, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there there won't be a lot of time to prepare, <laughs> right? But there will be a little. No, I'm gonna, we're we're gonna have zero mess up, zero pauses, zero uh-huh. anything except quality content this episode. Okay. So I'm just gonna bang it out. I'm probably just gonna upload it straight away tomorrow morning, and people will have multiple days to listen to the episode, absorb all the content that will be included in this episode, and then go out there and crush the draft open. Yeah, everyone will crush it. And everyone will win. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's going to be... It's. I'm not sure what Direwolf's going to do when uh, 150 people, 28-0. Yeah, they're not going to be able to deal with it. Yeah. I, I don't even know who the people who will be losing games are going to be. Just random people that are that got dragged in off the street, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Random not people that should have listened player. to episode yeah. 105, this very episode. Here we are. It'll, it'll probably be actually the people that listened to episode 104. Yeah. It's like, what is this useless garbage? Sure. I don't need to listen to this podcast. I think you're remembering the last episode uh, rather harshly. I remember it as being fine. <laughs> It was well, I listened to it twice, unlike you, who were there just for the episode. Oh, sure. No, I, I definitely was. Plus, I can't compare it to any other episode, since I've never listened to a single one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fine. It was just... I just could understand maybe being a little confused if it was your first episode, as we sure. tried to cram in all our content in between games. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> hey, who... Who could have predicted such fast queue times? Not me. I thought we were going to have the usual 15-minute queue times. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was, it was, I really thought it was the perfect plan. Yeah, yeah, no, but we didn't, it didn't reckon with, you know, the lure of, of easy cash that brought so many drafters to the table. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in case you're wondering what's going on right now, this is the intro to episode 105, uh, it's which the banter. I, I guess, it's the banter portion of the episode. <laughs> the which I guess I uh, now ironically titled a succinct summary summarizing the entire format in a tight sixty-minute episode. Yeah, too late for that. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we're doing this week. So uh, as the title says, we're just gonna blow through uh, this episode and try to get as much content in as little time. Besides for our fun banter uh, beginning in this episode. Yeah. 
But before we do that, uh, we do have to plug our Patreon. <laughs> yep. Now's when that happens. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And we do have a long list of names to run, uh, read eventually, because John Holio is back <laughs> and uh, updated the list of names. Yeah, so we do have a Patreon for this uh, podcast. So if this podcast is in any way helping you uh, enjoy the draft format, do better at the draft format, have fun with the draft format. Uh, if you have any ounce of pity upon us, uh, you can support this show at patreon.com slash farming eternal, uh, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our show notes and recording bloopers, uh, as well as get a shout out uh, for helping keep this show running. So thank you to Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low Key Trickster, Mercurial Blue, Abinego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hummerid, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistow. Yeah, thank you all so much. Yeah. Cool. So, Hats, how was your draft week? Uh, it was turbulent. Um, this was a pretty compla- complainy week for me on the Discord. Um, and I'm mostly over it, uh, and I seem to have things seem to have stabilized and i'm i'm doing fine i never was doing that badly i just wasn't having very much fun uh i guess i'll i'll just try to say in a short few sentences what seems to have happened uh which is big tournament was announced a lot of people started drafting who were unfamiliar with the format or the cards um, it threw the uh, the it, it kind of threw the uh, the format into turmoil as cards uh, that one uh, that that the rest of us had decided were good uh, were were being passed very late. Uh, it made signals hard to read, and I ended up with a lot of very confused, uh, difficult to play decks. Because um, I had I'd kind of settled into the format as it was, uh, found a groove in it, and things were so scrambled up uh, that I wasn't able to adjust very quickly. And that's um, my fault, because there were plenty of other drafters who were doing well during this period, and uh, I don't know their secrets, um, but it took me a little while longer. So it didn't feel good. And also, it, it isn't anyone's fault. It isn't the new drafter's fault. Of course, they're going to take a little while to adjust to the format and figure out what the good strategies and the good cards are. Uh, the problem is that um, it shouldn't have been such a large influx of new players compared to the people who already play draft, because there aren't enough people who play Eternal because Direwolf doesn't advertise and try to get new play, try to maintain a healthy player base. So if a big chunk of new players want to enter a tournament, they're going to throw everything off because there weren't that many people already playing draft regularly. So that's more or less what happened. So what it really comes down to is that I wish more people played Eternal, and it kind of makes me sad uh, that there's not really much that I can do about that. Yeah, except producing great content week after week. Yeah, I'm already doing it. So, I'm already doing what I can, what I'm what I have the energy to do. So, uh, here we are. How was your draft week? Well, uh, before I get to my draft week, which is kind of related to what you were talking about, I do want to complicate your story a little bit um, mm-hmm. and fill in some some context. So, you know, along with the draft open uh, announcement, 
they did also update uh, the draft packs. They added a few cards. They nerfed and buffed a few cards. And then what often happens after uh, draft pack changes is we get a short period of what uh, the community calls bot packs, which is what uh, Direwolf, because to to seed um, all the the initial drafts for people to draft, there's not enough humans doing it at Direwolf. They have uh, you know an algorithm or whatever that sort of seeds the seeds the server with uh, packs for people to to open um, and pit all the way down. And so what has often happened in the past is all signals and stuff get all wonky and there people start getting like six pick legendaries and all these rares and and we often have this turbulent period after uh dra- or the draft pack changes where it seems like humans aren't doing it and you're getting these packs seemingly at random. This format when they did it we did not get that huge influx of like 10th pick legendaries or anything. So that was toned down a lot. But like you said, signals have been very, very weird. And you're getting like, you know, a couple of the uncommons like Behold the Truth or Orange Jailer, which are what we have talked about on this podcast is some of the best uncommons in the format, like seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth pick randomly. Even when it feels like justice isn't isn't being isn't cut in pack one, all of a sudden you'll see a tenth pick orange jailer. And so whether that is an influx of inexperienced drafters or still seeded packs, it's it's a little unclear to me. Uh, there's no way to tell for sure. Maybe it's a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. Yes. Um, but I. the bot pack problem would also be solved with a larger player base because we would be sort of churning through the seeded bot packs more quickly. Um, So we wouldn't be seeing the same kind of weird anomalies like a week after the changeover. So it still really comes down to the same core issue. Yes. Um, And then this is also further complicated because uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, when they do these draft opens, uh, I'm not exactly sure why, but they take a snapshot uh, X number day- of days before the draft open of packs. And those are the packs that will be opened for the draft open. So whether it's um, Wednesday or Thursday of this week when the draft open is Friday or Saturday, that's when the packs will be open. So what happened in the last draft open is the day they picked, there were still bot packs in the system, whatever X number of days before the open they chose as their sort of freeze date. Um, And so this turbulence, I think, will appear in the open a little bit, even if by Friday or Saturday in the normal draft queues, it sort of worked itself out. So we do have to be prepared for that, I think, a little bit for the draft open. Yeah, we have to be prepared emotionally for it because there's not really any way to prepare strategically. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, though I I do wonder a little bit. It's it's interesting because I did have a strategic question about this because I've been feeling the same way. I'm just like taking these bomb commons and uncommons in two or three colors because they keep appearing late, and I'm like, oh, fire and justice are totally open because I've I've gotten like all of these late blitzstones and detonation cannons and really late orange jailers and Urza squadrons inexplicably. And then I go into pack two and then all of a sudden time and primal or, or whatever are what are open in pack two and three. And then I, I never know what to do. Cause I like look at my pool from pack one and I'm like, I already have a really ga- great Rakano deck going. You know, like we've often talk, talked about how it's really good to focus on like one color going into, pa- you know, finishing up pack one. So when you go into pack two, you sort of can be open to what's open. But but you're getting all these weird late signals that I'm like, I leave pack one and I'm like, I have no idea what's open but i want to play all of these cards and then i get to pack two and three and it's totally different colors that are open and i'm like well i don't know if i should like i don't know which of fire justice or shadow i should that i have great cards from from pack one that i should focus on as i pick these like other good cards you know it's like been very confusing for me in in that way yeah, I don't think there's an easy way around that. Um, that's that's a problem with the way uh, asynchronous drafting, as Eternal does it, works. Um, it's it's unfortunate, but uh, I mean, you can you can guard against it by if if they're going to take a snapshot of of uh, of the draft packs from when the signals were really bad. Um, then you just have to be prepared not to see, for example, a fifth pick Ursa Squadron as a signal, um, but as a potential signal, basically. Like, don't go too hard on on your factions just because you've gotten packed, pick, uh, you've gotten past a couple of cards. Be willing to give up some good cards if it doesn't look like if if a few picks into pack two. Um, it looks like your 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 two factions that you thought you were going to be are are cut. Um, you just kind of have to be prepared for that. I've had a lot more success since I started started drafting, so that I was a little bit more. Um, and the fixing has actually improved slightly since the changeover, as long as you're in time. So you can splash a little bit more easily, and that's another option is to actually play three colors now, which is just slightly easier than it was before. Um, and also prioritize fixing in your first pack because there is fixing. Um, there are there are uh, uncommons that give you two two uh, faction influence, and um, I wasn't really prioritizing those that high um, before the the last change in the draft format, but now I'm. Now I'm picking them much higher because I know that I might have to splash. Um, and before I really never had to because I knew I was going to get enough playables. Now I don't know that, so fixing is more valuable. Cool. Yeah. So that so that's the thing I've been struggling with this week is like 
how to not try to read too much into pack one going into pack two or three. And, you know, like, I think that's especially important in this format because unlike some other formats, uh, pack two and three do have a bunch of good cards in it. And so being too married to your multiple factions out of pack one, which is, I think, easy to do, can really hurt your draft. Yeah. I mean, that's just good drafting policy in general, but I think we had a very generous draft format until the until this, these last couple of weeks. And in the sense that the there were so many playables in pack one and four that you sort of didn't need to worry about. Um, you sort of didn't need to worry about uh, getting enough playables to fill out your deck in pack two and three. But if signals are, are really chaotic, like they have been, uh, then you can't count on that you, because you may not because if your two factions like you're saying from pack one are totally cut in pack two and three you can really scuttle your deck now uh, so given that then yeah you have to you have to draft a little bit more defensively yeah and that's my word for staying op- as open as you can early in the draft so how about uh, cards of the week okay Let's talk about card of the card week. week. Well, uh, I think both of our cards of the week are, or actually, I don't understand what you've written here. <laughs> both of our cards of the week. Well, at least I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm okay. Gonna say, I don't well, know fine. Going. Here, I'll start with what what's confusing hats. Yeah, is okay. uh, last week my card of the week was Marshall Azaya. Uh huh. Izia, um, and then uh, we talked about it as a six. Uh, fire, fire, time, time, two, two, and that, and that's what we talked about last week. Between us recording that episode and it releasing, the uh, the patch happened, and she went to a six cost two three, and I think that vastly improves her uh, because uh, while she is still very committing in as a fire, fire, time, time card. Uh, there are many, many fewer ways to deal three damage than two damage. And so I think she is much stronger than she was uh, a week ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Fire has three commons that do two damage to a to a unit. And that's why uh, and that's why Marshall was so uh, vulnerable before because you might still have like a rune. Of, of flame just sitting around in your hand uh, when your opponent plays her. Uh, so I, I, th- I think she's a lot better, but um, uh, she does cost fire, fire, time, time. So it's still a very committing early pick. Like, it's not easy to splash for her like like other rares. Um, so I still would hesitate to, to take Marshall Luzia, um, like, first pick. But if I think I'm already in one of those two, especially if I'm already in time, because again, it's easier to splash if you're in time, then I'll pick up Izzy a pretty high uh, if it's if it's starting to look like time is open in pack, in pack one and I see one uh, come by. Although that doesn't really happen that often, but it, it's easier to snap one up in pack four, um, even if you're not in fire, but you are in time and you can splash fairly easily. Yeah. Yes, and um, 
And sometimes you're just actually drafting Praxis. It's rare, but it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, Praxis is actually our least represented color in our seven win deck lists. Uh, so this is not necessarily a, a a color combination that you should aim to go into. Okay, so what's your actual card of the week? So my actual card of the week, uh, you know, that was a little addendum from last week, is Well-Laid Trap, which is the zero justice fast spell that says give an attacking enemy unit minus two attack this turn, then ready one of your units and give it endurance this turn. Yes. So I think this has been a combat trick that I, I've always liked uh, in the format, but haven't really seen that much. But with the uh, the draft pack changes and, like, for example, permafrost getting boosted, uh, this is one of the few ways to give uh, your units endurance, therefore breaking permafrost, breaking rune of trickery, uh, breaking, um, breaking manacles. Uh, so this card can be lead to surprising blowouts, and it's been a card I've been in, enjoying having in my deck this week, and to some fairly good results. Yeah, I don't mind it. Uh, it. It's not it's not a super powerful card most of the time, but it does have a lot of those sort of corner case uses, and because you don't see it that often, people rarely play around it. Uh, the downside to well laid trap is that it's one of the most easily identifiable like fast spells uh, <laughs> in your opponent's hand. You know, you figure out as soon as you attack and your opponent has zero power remaining and there's a pause, you know what they have and you can play around it. Um, so, I mean, it might be too late. Like that first attack might be the one where Well-Laid Trap gets you, but it usually isn't. Like when Well-Laid Trap is at its best is when you can... Uh, give something endurance, ready it. Like there's a big attack, like your attack, like your uh, your opponent is attacking with two things, um, and you you like give one unit minus two strength, block that and kill it with something. Uh, un uh, make ready your largest unit, block something else entirely, and get a two for one off of a zero cost vast spell. Like that's where it really shines. Um, and it's not going to get to that point if your opponent is paying attention because the first time they attack, they'll see that you have a well-laid trap specifically. So it's it's a really good card against inexperienced players because <laughs> they're not going to see it coming at all. It's not that great against good players because uh, it's it's super easy to play around. Yeah, I agree. It is super easy to play around, um, but I do think it's... It can still leave, even if you're playing around it, leave dead cards in your hand because, like, if your primal or justice, any of your stun-based effects become a lot less effective. That's true, and also it has the advantage um, where there's no cost to just sort of leaving it up. Like, you don't have to play it. Um, your opponent might be playing around it and that might force them to leave power up to play their own trick and then you don't play the well-laid trap so they're wasting that power so there are just inherent advantages to having a zero cost spell because there's that until you actually play it there's the threat that your opponent's not going to be able to make good attacks so it, it's a good card 
Uh, I don't really know how high to pick it up, honestly. Uh, it's not something that I go into justice for. But if I'm already in justice, it's, I'm not. I'm not mad to pick up uh, pick up a well laid trap and have that sort of inherent um, insurance against permafrost and manacles. Yes. Um, all right. And so, what is your card of the week? I just chose Gnashing Displacer because it's another one of the cards that recently got a buff, um, and I wanted to talk about it. Gnashing Displacer is a 5 Primal 4, uh, 4, 4. It used to be a 5 Primal 4, 4 with Overwhelm and Stealth, and that's all it was. I, I think most people regarded it as filler. Most of the 5 uh, Power Stealth cards that aren't Gnashing Displacer were superior. Uh, but now it's got one extra power. It's a 5 4. Uh, for five with overwhelm and stealth, it's always good to give more power to something with overwhelm. And now it can tangle with practically anything. Like you can just sort of attack your gnashing displacer into almost any board, and, and it'll take something out with it. And so, and also uh, because there's still a lot of uh, tricks, there's still some combat tricks in Justice that make things much bigger. You can you can push damage through with this thing. So uh, I I think it's a lot better. It's still this is still a format where you want a, as low cur a curve as possible most of the time. Um, but I have always felt like Gnashing Displacer, even before it got the buff, was a perfectly fine thing to put at the high end of your curve if you were a, a, an aggressive deck at all. Um, because it is gonna, it's usually going to do a little bit of damage um, to your opponent before um, they get rid of it. So... Uh, I think it's good enough now where it, uh, the, between this and the buff to Freight Asri uh, a little while ago, making it a 2-4 flyer instead of a 1-4 flyer, uh, making Rooted Observer the 1-1 one, one that, that gets a bonus when you play a stealth unit, uh, turning that into a 4-3 instead of a 3-3. Three, three. Between all of those buffs... And Primal, Shockwave Elemental. And Shockwave Elemental is now a 4-2 instead of a 3-2. Uh they really wanted to to bring Primal up to the level of of the other factions, and um, the cumulative effect the cumulative effect of that is that they did. Uh, it does feel like those are safer picks that can hit a lot harder. Um, really, a uh, gnashing displacer is just the my <laughs> just the 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 way I chose to talk about where they this is sort of unprecedented where they've made this much of a change to a bunch of draft commons and uncommons um where where they were obviously trying to bring up the power level of a faction so that it was more balanced and it kind of succeeded it just sort of tweaked the numbers rather than fundamentally changing what the faction was about or anything like that yeah, and I, I think it's a great way to do it instead of just like upping the power in the draft packs because, uh, you know, they've tried that way to balance factions before, but you still, you know, without draft the pack order changes, you know, you still have to make it through the the set, <laughs> you know, pack one before you get to the to the boosted better cards, and so it still sometimes made it hard to do that. But having actually buffed the cards you will see first makes it much easier to get into Primal, I think. Yeah. So, you know, some people out there said that Primal was the best color even from the start, so now it's even better. Yeah, and so while we're on this topic, uh, 
I'll just quickly read the other buffs. Uh, so the main other one is launching Azri, uh, which was the uh, three cost uh, Elysian card uh, common, which was a stealth unit and it was a three one. And they had an ultimate. If you played uh, another stealth unit, uh, it would gain flying. And now it gains flying in Aegis. So this card has also uh, gotten a lot better because having <laughs> having a two-color 3-1 flyer did not really feel that impressive, but having uh, a 3-1 flyer with Aegis is actually a pretty good unit. It's good, and also um, there, there was a buff to ornamental daggers uh, in the sense that it was added to the format and at, at the highest boosted level in the... Uh, in the draft packs, uh, an ornamental daggers uh, is a great uh, is a great thing to put on a flying Aegis unit. <laughs> you can't just can't just kill the thing now. Yes, exactly. Um, all right, cool. So then, uh, the rest of the episode, we're gonna sort of talk about uh, our views of the format. And uh, before we do that, uh, one thing that we do on the podcast and the Discord is we collect seven win runs. We collect them usually on the Discord, and then we put them in a spreadsheet so you can kind of see all the seven win run runs that uh, submitters have done throughout the format. And then we kind of talk about what they're showing us, what factions are doing well, and stuff like that. Uh, and then we also give a shout out uh, to everyone who submitted a list. And so I'm going to quickly read the names, and then we're going to use a lot of this information to sort of as context for the rest of the episode. Uh, so we have a bunch of new contributors. So thank you to Almost, Cat Planet, Cigar Pete, John EOTM, Josh Woodward, Noth, Oboshan, and Soakoma Chaos, as well as our veteran contributors of Abinego, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Apricot Knight, Avgots, Beard Broken, Sizzle Steam, Collector, Comet, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D-Dubs, D-Vincent, Frafa, Gatosujo, Gibbon++, Gunner116, Hats on Lamps, Honky, uh, Iplongno, Jed the Hamrid, John Holio, Madness, Mattioker, Mercurial Blue, Meavers, Old Rich, Out on a Limb, Pachi, Potomaru, Raven Dragon, Saitar, SSJ1997, Tempest Dragon King, Twin Hex, Vader, Who Does That, Zelda64, and ZS Jostrom35. So that was a, a few weeks worth of names, but we managed to get through it. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Thanks, everybody, for submitting all those lists. Uh, without them, we would not have a spreadsheet full of information to talk yes. about. I think before we get into like cards added and cards not added, um, I wanted to talk with you, Hats, about like, so how would, what what would your general picture, your broad overview for this format be for someone who's sort of wants to, going into this draft open and maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with the format? But they do have experience with drafting Eternal. Yeah, drafting in general. Yeah, they get the concept. Okay, uh, well, that's difficult it's difficult to sum up a draft format in, in in a few words or few sentences um i think this is mostly a format about 
individual cards. There's not a lot of like specific synergy that you need to draft around. There are general archetypes, but really if you just find your two open factions and then draft good cards, most of them will naturally go together well enough. Um, because uh, Valor is one of the main keywords, um, and Valor gives uh, an attacking unit plus one plus one for each unit blocking it, uh, it can be difficult to mount a defense against certain decks uh, that have a lot of Valor. Uh, you have to be um, fairly knowledgeable about what tricks your opponent might play to make your blocks really bad. Um, you have to know when to just let the Valor unit hit you and, uh, and when to try to block it. It does make attacking very good, but that is actually a theme for Eternal in general. Usually attacking is good in Eternal. A lot of units get bonuses when they attack most of the time. That's what Quick Draw is. Um, but Valor makes it uh, Valor makes it uh, makes attacking good most of the time. Um, and then uh, one of the most valuable things that you can do for yourself in this format, um, because stealth is a, a keyword that you're going to see a lot. Um, it's going to be a lot more prevalent in Limited than it is in Eternal Constructed. Uh, there's only a handful of, of stealth units that are good enough to play in Constructed, but they're the meat and potatoes of this draft format. Uh, it's just to, just to know what the common stealth units are, so you know basically what you're probably dealing with. Because it's not a total black box of mystery every time you see a stealth unit on your opponent's side. There are some uh, there are some general guidelines to it. Um, uh, a three power stealth unit is not going to be able to eat a three three alive, um, kill it and survive. That's one of the rules. And a I believe a five power unit isn't going to be able to eat a five five and and live. That's the rule for the five power ones. Um, and those are actually kind of extreme examples. There's only a handful of units that are 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 big enough to trade um, at that level. So uh, we can get into some of the rules a little bit more specifically. But for example, if uh, somebody uh, has shadow influence only and plays a stealth unit, it's almost certainly either a three-two that gets bigger when it when it hits you, or it's a two-two that draws a card when it hits you. So when that unit attacks. Uh, most likely you're going to want to block it with something that can trade with a 3-2 or a 2-2. And don't let it hit you because Shadow only wants to hit you with its stealth units. Um, and of course, there's going to be uncommons that break these rules to some degree, but knowing the common stealth units is going to help you a lot because uh, if you play the draft format enough, it becomes instinctive. So you almost always know what your opponent has played within a certain range like it's hard to play around rares but usually you know kind of what they've played um but if you're new to the format get a little cheat sheet like uh just write down what the commons are so uh at least those don't take you by surprise um because you don't want to be you don't want the your opponent to have a whole hand full of unknown cards and a board full of unknown cards and then just play as if you don't have any information you've got plenty of information um and just familiar familiarize yourself with those the the like what you do know um there's that and um i guess uh i guess the other thing is is to is that this is not a format where you have to worry about a lot of stuff coming back from the void and recursion. 
um, and like really killer synergies between specific cards because there really aren't very many. Um, most of most games that I play in this format uh, will come down to like tactical decisions during the game. Um, just uh, just attacking well into your opponent's board and knowing when to block when your opponent attacks. So it's very much like a lot of units banging into each other. There's not a massive amount of evasion like there was in the last format. Like Primal has some flyers, uh, but that's not the main thing that's going to happen to you is you're not going to get hit by say, like a 2-1 Berserk that they played on turn 2 and then gave a huge bonus to. Like like the last format, that would happen all the time. doesn't really happen in this format. There are good flyers, but they're not, they don't dominate the format in the same way. Um, so it's really just uh, draft units that are big for their cost um, and don't get caught by... Uh, uh, don't 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 get caught by stealth units being something massively unexpected. Have a basic familiarity with those, and then um, don't worry about synergy too much because you're basically going to be drafting an, a, a basically aggressive deck or a basically mid-range deck. Uh, very very rarely a control deck because there's not a lot of card draw. Um, and uh, and just and if you know draft fundamentals, you'll probably be fine in this format because other than the hidden information in the stealth units, it's not that complicated. Yes. Yeah, I think the gameplay is, is not that complicated. It was uh, interesting. Uh, this morning I listened to the Friends of Eternal podcast and Sunnyvale and Stormblessed uh, tried to... <laughs> they described it as <clears throat> release uh, a sort of totally useless episode letting everyone know what what they knew about this draft format, which was not much. And then uh, they kindly mentioned that if they wanted real information, they should probably uh, listen to us. So that's one of the reasons we're trying to do this and release this. Yeah, um, we'll do our best to get into some specifics here. That was pretty general on my part. Yeah, no, I think that was a great summary. But what was interesting is one of the things they talked about is sort of like how they were preparing to do the draft open being unprepared and they kind of uh contrasted this format with the last format and talked about how the last format uh set 10 uh ec- what is it uh empire of glass yeah i think it was empire of glass oh yeah, yeah. empire of glass was sort of easier to draft because there were sort of it was a tribal based set there were sort of five tribes going on and you could sort of if you had no idea what you're going you could just like i'm taking every soldier and sort of end up with a functional deck while this format being slightly less synergy based and sort of not quite as in your face about what the format is about requires you know i think a little bit maybe more knowledge or to draft a good deck or sort of like you were describing sort of good fundamentals and good card evaluation can take you a long way in this format because there aren't really as many synergies i i I have ended up with a very strongly synergistic deck in this format very rarely 
Um, yes. It's it's super hard. Like I would say that the most obvious synergy deck is Argentport with the uh, Justice and Shadow, and it will be discard based because there's cards that openly get bonuses from being discarded, um, and that that still happens incredibly rarely, even if you're in Argentport, where you actually have enough discard synergy to make that a central theme of your deck. It's it's very unlike last format in that way. Yes. Yeah, and so I I agree with everything you said that uh you know this the mechanic uh the two sort of the name mechanic valor and then sort of a sub theme uh of tandem which is when two units attack uh you know you have a unit that gets a bonus or gives a bonus um sort of lends itself to not necessarily being aggressive, but attacking, wanting to attack um, a lot. And then also, uh, it's also interesting, like you said, there's not a ton of evasion, especially with like big beaters. Like there's there's fewer surprise kills outside of Behold the Truth, uh, which is a time uncommon. It's a one cost that gives your units plus one, plus one and overwhelm and then if you amplify it for six it gives plus four plus four or plus an additional plus three plus three and overwhelm so plus four plus four and overwhelm that's like the main boogeyman of the format of just like win out of nowhere um but, but there's also like not a lot of unblockable there's not a lot of life steal um and so besides for stealth a lot of the yeah, like you said, it's a, a, a lot about fundamentals because a lot of the information is face up. There's not like a ton of blowout potential. Um, no, there's not even really that many combat tricks that that are that are outside of a of a of a of a fairly narrow range of how big a unit can suddenly get. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's you're not playing around a lot in combat that's 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 going to do unusual mean things to you yeah and uh you know one of the premium common removals in this format is uh topple which is the three justice uh kill a unit with the highest attack or enemy with the highest attack you know like that's a slow spell there's not a ton of fast spell removal either to get blown out so um yeah, so I think the main thing to, like you said, is to worry about is stealth units, and you know you can open up Eternal Warcry, search for all stealth units, and have a picture of all of them in front of you when you play your games. Yeah, yeah, know the commons, um, and once you feel like you've got a handle on the commons, uh, get uh, take a look at the uncommons and see if they break the rules that the commons set. Uh, I think the best example of that is in Fire, where the only common stealth unit is the Rampaging Commando, the 3-1, and uh, at the beginning of your turn, it will reveal itself and cast Rampage, which gives it, which gives any of your units plus 3, plus 1, and Overwhelm. Um, and that's the only 3-power stealth unit in Fire. But uh, one of the uncommons is... Evoker, which is a 2-3, and when it reveals itself, it casts um, the, the spell that does one damage to two targets of your choice. 
that is a totally different effect. <laughs> um, you can't kill it with two damage. You can't attack into it with a 2-2, whereas you can definitely attack into Rampaging Commando with a 2-2 and should. That makes it so that you have to sometimes be cautious and do a little risk analysis if uh, somebody plays a fire unit. Um, but definitely you know that if someone plays a fire stealth unit that it's going to do something when at the beginning of your opponent's turn. <laughs> and so if you can stop that from happening, that's that's probably a good idea. So yes. there's there's always a theme, and what makes it very what makes it complicated is the fact that usually on turn three your opponent has two types of influence, so you can't narrow it down quite as much as you'd like to. Yeah. All right, and then uh, sort of another broad question I had for you is, especially taking into account some of the rarity shifts or the boosted shifts and the buffs. Like, do you think there is a best faction? Do you think all the factions are pretty well balanced? What's your, like, is there any faction maybe people should lean into, not force necessarily, but prefer? Well, I still think that justice is probably the strongest overall. And that's just because uh, so many of its commons are playable or good in uh, packs one and four. I don't think it's quite as strong. I think the boosting changes that they made for the draft packs uh, make it a little bit less reliable. Like, for example, Finest Hour uh, was boosted to maximum at like 20 times. Now it's 10 times. Instead, Saddle Up, which gives a unit plus four, plus four for three power, um, is now 20 times instead of 10 times. They switched places in terms of how much they're boosted. And Saddle Up is not as good a card as Finest Hour. That weakens the faction a little bit. But, uh, and and there were, and they made a lot of changes to Justice in that sense. And I think in general uh, made the faction a little bit weaker. But still think it's the best. Not by a huge margin, but I think it's the easiest one to draft and get a playable deck because every one of the archetypes that uh, Justice is part of are strong and you can have a winning deck with them. Arcano is good. Argentport is good. Combray is good. Might be the best combination now. And um, and Huru is probably the most difficult one to draft well out of those, but is still extremely powerful when it's drafted well. Yeah, and we have a whole episode about Huru. We do. And I think everything that was said then still applies. There haven't been major changes to the key cards for that. No. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting because I don't think we're going to go into everything that was added or changed. Uh, if you do want to look that up, SFRS, who also uh, works with the Friends of Eternal podcast and works with Shift Stoned, um, does a, a, has a page on Shift Stone that's like a format update, which has a lot of like filters and toggles that you can play around and see what cards in the draft packs have been added and weighted changes. So you can, I think, view that if you want to see everything uh, that was added or changed. But like you said, it does seem like just, Justice kind of got tuned down a little bit. It is pretty, The one of the things that interested me is time got a lot of cards added and a bunch of those were good cards. Um, uh, Twin Brood, which is the five time time five four dinosaur with Echo was added and boosted. Uh, Desert Alchemist was added and boosted. Um, and time was already, in my opinion, pretty good 
you know, not as good as Justice, but was not a bad faction. So it's pretty interesting that they seem to have upped time a bit, even though, in my opinion, it was doing all right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's enough to make time like the best faction overall. I, uh, I still think it's a little bit awkward in combination with Fire and Shadow. Uh, so... But it, there's no doubt that it, it's stronger now, um, yeah. and it also enables a type of deck that doesn't uh, that didn't really exist before, which is the sort of go wide strategy. Uh, there's cards like Amber Acolyte and Horn of Plenty, um, and Battlefield Chanter are are cards that are good if you're trying to um, attack with a lot of small units, um, and those just sort of weren't present before, so you couldn't really reliably draft a strategy like that. But now you now you can. Yes. And then uh, Primal, like you said, like we said, got a lot of buffs in its actual set 11 cards, but then also uh, got a few pretty good cards like um, Unstable Formation uh, got added and a few of its like Permafrost is now boosted uh, even more. So, you know, it got tuned up in, in both in all the packs. So. And then I've always thought that, you know, Fire's been pretty good and Shadow's been pretty good. So I, I'm pretty excited uh, in summary to, that I think Justice is probably, I agree, the best faction, but they're all very close. And there's no faction that I personally feel like hard, I need to hard avoid. No, I don't feel that way. And I have felt that way in the past in, in previous formats, especially when at times when Primal was just a mess. Uh, it's not really like that. Primal's totally draftable now. So whatever, it's really good to go back to the fundamental principle of seeing what is open, <laughs> staying open in your draft in order to be able to find your lane and then uh, and, and then follow it. Uh, Eternal has always been a draft. Uh, drafting in Eternal has has always been kind of about finding your lane and being rewarded more so than Magic the Gathering. And uh, I think that's where the format is right now, is to, even when the signals are confusing, uh, really paying attention to them and asking yourself, is this card that I'm seeing in this pack right now uh, something that someone would pass if they were actually in this faction and, and, and making a good decision about when to go in? on that uh on a card like that and say oh you know what this faction is what i'm drafting now uh having a good sense of that is really gonna is really gonna make a big difference for you i think all right it's gonna cool. let those so, let those let those late uh good cards in the last two packs uh find their way into your deck instead of having to stare at them and go oh, i just don't think that i can yeah and then another thing you can uh sort of have access and look at if you look at the spreadsheet over seven index is sort of what color combinations are doing well and like you intimated earlier uh combray is actually our number one faction uh or number one color combination by a lot in our seven win spreadsheet and i think combray you know it has just this is this includes pre and post uh patch change uh, all of these numbers I'm talking about because uh, I just don't think it changed the format fundamentally. Would you agree or disagree? Not fundamentally, um, but I do think there were 
significant changes. But if you're just getting into the format, then that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I don't think the percentages change so much. Uh, again, that you'd want to um, like definitely draft uh, particular factions or definitely avoid other factions. Uh, but it is useful to know that Combray tends to be strong. You just get big units that attack well um, at every point in your power curve. Yes, and uh, this is sort of one of the examples is the the common uh, Combray unit is uh, Noble Enforcer, which is the four time justice four four with Valor. Sort of the biggest thing on the board at four. It, it attacks if they block. It's a five five, which kills nearly everything in the format except maybe the boosted gnashing displacer now and a populist controller so it has a lot of big units and then like you said it has a new angle um with the with the update because now time has a bit of a go wide strategy and justice also has a bunch of good early units uh like reliable trooper and urza squadron um so I think uh, Cambrai is a, a good deck to look to if you want to go wide also. It is also a little bit safer to go into if you're not sure that it's open because uh, cards like Amber, Acolyte, and Find the Way are, are boosted now, so it's easier to splash if you have a base of time. Um, I've drafted Cambrai splashing a couple of things a, a few times, and it's gone well. Yes. All right, then our next most prevalent uh um, color combination is Fire Shadow or Stone Scar. Stone Scar, I think, is just a pretty aggressive deck. You know, this is highlighted with their their two other uh, um, their common, which is Skullbreaker, which is the two Fire Shadow three two with Overwhelm deadly on your turn. That attacks really well. It's really scary. Fire has a lot of tandem attackers. Um, and aggressive cards. Shadow has sort of the removal to back it up, and also some pretty aggressive cards that want to hit face. Um, there are some cards that work well together. What's the three cost two three tandem fire unit called? Lieutenant. I don't think it's Lieutenant, uh, but I don't know offhand. It's the uh, mercenary vanguard. Oh yeah. You know, like Fire has a Mercenary Vanguard, which is its tandem unit. And so when you have two units attack with the Mercenary Vanguard, each of those units deal one damage. Uh, both of the three-cost Shadow Stealth units love attacking with that on board because they have um, abilities that trigger when they hit, when they hit face. Um, the one interesting thing about um stone scar that i find is like disgrace cadet uh which is their uncommon uh which is a four cost two four which with deadly and then ultimate when a relic goes to the void uh disgrace cadet gets plus three attack and flying um this is a pretty good card don't get confused sub theme i mean fire has some good relics that go to the void like uh blitzstone and the cannon uh, which are great ways to to trigger Disgrace Cadet, but it's not it's not a theme per se. You're just pl playing good cards that will hopefully just trigger your Disgrace Cadets if you're lucky enough to get a few. I feel like Disgrace Cadet is going to trigger off of your opponent's uh, relics going to the void as often as <laughs> it is your own. <laughs> it's, 
uh, because it really is just Blitzstone that um, that goes to the void reliably, and maybe uh, maybe a, maybe a few relic weapons. Yeah, detonation cannon. Yeah, detonation cannon, of course. Uh, yeah, so th- that's what I just wanted uh, to mention that there's not really a relic theme per se with Stone Scar, even though the rare and one of the uncommons is themed around that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those are all right. Those then are uh, our next most common one is actually Argent Port. You know, Argent Port, like we said, has the potential to be the most synergy-based one. There's a lot of cards that like to go to your void either by dying or being discarded. There are a couple cards that do discard um, in the color combination. Uh, an example being their uncommon collapse, which is a two cost fast speed removal spell, but requires you to discard a card to play it. So if you have cards like their common D'Angelo's Racketeer, which is a four cost three, two, and then when D'Angelo Racketeer goes to your void, you may pay two to play a four, three back alley bouncer. You know, you can, there's, there are a few synergies there, um, but there's also just good cards in the color combination. You know, in the last format, there was like sort of a go wide flyers deck. You can kind of do a similar thing, play some attacking units, play some flyers and deal enough damage to kill them. And then, uh, you know, justice has some great removal. Shadow has some great removal. So you can, you know, clear the way for your creatures and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't really need to go hard on the on the discard theme. Um, it's 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 more that you just have uh, a pile of of good playable cards, and then also Shadow plays the late game really well uh, because it has Minister of Obeyance um, that uh, once you reach eight power um, can kill a unit when it comes into play. And also it's uncommon Hypnotic Valkyrie, which is a 4-4 flyer that temp- can temporarily steal your opponent's units if you have extra power when you play it. Um, so like, it has a few units that, that kind of scale well, and uh, that that means that uh, unlike Stone Scar, which can sometimes peter out because some of its uh, a lot of fire cards don't scale well, well, actually, that, that doesn't make any sense because we're still playing... Um, I, I, unlike Ricano is what I meant, where it's sort of hard to get cards that are good in the late game sometimes. Uh, Shadow doesn't have that problem. All right. Uh, and then next is actually Ricano. Um, yeah. I think, once again, Ricano's doing what Ricano has been doing in the last few sets. It is attacking, it's dealing damage... There are, you know, you mentioned Finest Hours unboosted, but there's still a lot of combat tricks to be found. Uh, Fire still has Iona's Fury, which is the give a unit, uh, play a plus two attack weapon on a unit and give it quick draw for the turn. And so there's just like a lot of ways to deal damage, get damage through. Uh, The common that Rakano has is Queen's Elite, which is uh, the three Rakano 2-2. When you attack with exactly two units, the top unit or weapon of your deck gets plus two, plus two. Uh, you've talked before how there's like a little bit of tension between these hyper-aggressive Rakano decks and Queen's Elite, which is a slightly more value-oriented uh, card. Um, 
Yeah, uh, you can sort of end up... Uh, Rakano has a lot of Warcry war effects in it like that. Uh, you end up with a bunch uh, sometimes. Uh, so it, it it's sort of hard to draft anything that really benefits in a big way from getting getting those Warcry effects. Um, but you also don't need to. Just, just drawing big units and big relic weapons off the top of your deck... Uh, is a totally fine thing to do. So um, it means that sometimes when you're drafting Rakano, you don't need, you shouldn't be thinking hyper aggro. You should just be thinking, I'm going to play things that attack well at every point in my curve. Um, and be, the cumulative effect of getting those Warcry triggers off of cards like Elite and Ursa Squadron and uh, uh, let's say the uncommon. Um, uh, retrofitted sentinel that can give the top unit of your deck plus two plus two uh, before it ever even attacks. Uh, cards like that uh, will sort of make it so that the long game is is easy for you to win because uh, you keep drawing bigger things than your opponent um, uh, as the game goes on. Uh, kind of tough to get something with evasion where you can use that big unit and actually do damage. So sometimes you'll just lose as your opponent chump blocks on the ground and wins in the air. Uh, so that is a weakness of Ricano. But in general, the theme is pretty strongly supported. Uh, you can kind of lean into uh, getting relic weapons uh, rather than other kinds of removal sometimes because the relic weapons will still get those war cry bonuses. Yep. And then that's also why... Uh... You know, there's a card like the the uncommon, the four-cost Valkyrie, that's a 3-1, and you can amplify two to give another unit a plus two attack. You've sort of advocated for that card to be a little better than it reads because in like a deck like Rakana where you can get a lot of war cries, that is that is an evasive unit that you will see late that, that really likes, you know, <laughs> accepting all of those buffs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, the draft packs have uh, have the one two um, four cost Rakano Valkyrie with double damage too. So that's another thing you can put them on. There's rewards for that. You can look for that if you end up with a lot of those Warcry triggers, which is not uncommon if you're drafting Rakano. Yep, and and it also it's like interesting because so Rakano, you know, in our seven win decks, we've had some fifteen. Um, you know, 15 power, hyper aggressive, nothing above a three drop almost. And then we've had some of these more value oriented, still, uh, you know, a deck that wants to be attacking. Well, you know, that that's the tough thing about talking about this format, like Queen's Elite, maybe not necessarily aggressive in the sense of hyper aggro, but it's aggressive in that you still want to be attacking. Um, but you're, it's like a slower, ag aggressive card. Yeah, I don't think this is a good format for people who are timid about attacking unless they have a, a, like overwhelming certainty that the t attack is going to go well for them. This is really a format that rewards you for attacking whenever you can um, and getting small incremental ad advantages until you've overwhelmed your opponent. Yes. And so those are really the four decks, the four color combinations that we have seen the most in people in our seven win decks of all the decks that we've received. So those that's sort of the tier, the tier one of decks. Uh, next, uh, the next tier is 
uh, well, there's a, a little bit of, of a gap to the next deck, which is Huru, which again, we mentioned we had a whole episode on. Um, but the key card in Huru is Storm Holt Concoction, which is the three cost spell. Give one of your units plus three, plus three in flying this turn. Amplify one. When it hits the enemy player this turn, draw a card. So you can draw a lot of cards with this. You can deal a lot of damage. Uh, Pachi advocated for playing a lot of Overwhelm and Berserk to make best use of the concoctions. Uh, you're a Justice deck, so you have a lot of good cards. You're a Primal deck, so you have some Evasive Flyers. You have a card like Freight Asri, the 2-4, uh, that summons to give you Aegis, uh, Face Aegis, which is a, a good defensive card, but also a Flyer, so it can chip in. Um, so th there, it definitely has a lot of tools. It can be a little tricky to draft and play well and to know when to use your cards and how to use them best, but it is a deck that can win. And I think it got a little bit of a boost, uh, just a tiny subtle boost um, in the in the last patch because uh, Dive Bomb, uh, which is the uh, justice trick that costs four justice and gives two of your units plus one plus four and flying this turn, uh, it was boosted 10 times. It's now boosted 20 times, which is kind of redundant with Stormhawk Concoction. Obviously, Dive Bomb doesn't draw cards, but sometimes it just wins the game. And the sort of units that want you to cast Stormhawk Concoction on them also really like Dive Bomb because it gives your Berserk units flying. Yeah, and then there's also like a card like Cobalt Acolyte, which is a 10-time boosted card. You know, so there there's some redundancy to to the game plan of attacking with big flyers um, or big berserk units. Yeah, and give them flying. Yeah, give evasion to berserk units. Uh, solid way to win games. And then the final five decks are all sort of in a much lower tier. So are sort of are seven percent or less of our of the submitted decks. And so the next deck is uh, Skycrag. Um, I think Skycrag also is a pretty aggressive deck. Uh, it has a really good common, uh, the 1-4 flyer that you can play 3 to get make it a 4-4. Uh, burnished Grenahawk, I think. Yep. And then it's uncommon is Tandem Training. When you attack with exactly two units, they get plus 1, plus 1. Um, so that is also a pretty powerful card, but um, sometimes you're so aggressive with Stone Scar, I think you don't even sort of Sky like crack. a Queen's Elite. You don't really want to spend four and do nothing with it necessarily. Oh uh, yeah, that's how much uh, tandem training costs. Um, I've advocated in the past for Skycrag being generally pretty good, um, but I, I have to admit that I don't end up drafting it very often. Uh, and maybe that's just because those two factions aren't op aren't open at the same time very often. Um, but uh, yeah, it, like between primal and fire, sometimes you end up with quite a few ways to make it so your opponent can't block your stuff. And also, a lot of your stuff already has evasion or is hard to block for some reason already. Uh, so you can you, you can end up doing a bunch of damage. Uh, I think the version with Burnished Grenahawk is probably not all out aggro because it's it's a one four uh, for for three, and then it costs extra power to do more damage. So that's slower, you know. That's a, uh, but it that doesn't mean that it's a bad card. Um, it's 
an evasive threat that probably doesn't die when it attacks. And so it's helpful if you're trying to attack with exactly two things. And um, having evasive units is a good way to attack with two things if you've got cards that want you to do that. Um, I, I think it just, I think Skycrag uh, just sort of doesn't get there a lot because a lot of the individual cards aren't that strong. You don't have that sort of beef that time or justice gives you. Um, so it can feel kind of fragile. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that if those two factions are open that you should avoid it because it's super powerful if you get enough strong cards. And I think it'll probably be easier to get strong cards now that so many of Primal's uh, commons and uncommons have been boosted or, or even just outright changed to be stronger. Yes, I, I agree. And like, and then it still does have a lot of good early, you know, like Wild Azri, the two cost, two one flyer in Primal. Um, you, you know, so you can attack and then use the small damage base removal and fire. And then for late game threats, you can use Primal's uh, stun effects. You know, it is fragile, but you can get in that last points of damage and win the game. So yeah, that's what the, you're sort of looking to do with Skycrag. All right, yeah, and then after and Skycrag is Elysian. So Elysian's kind of interesting because we do not have a lot of decks, but like we said, Primal got really boosted and Time uh, got some good cards. So I think uh, Elysian is sort of the first deck or the first color combination in our list where I think it might be a little bit better than the stats uh, are showing or how many decks we have. You know, it's common was boosted, the launching Azri. So now it is a three, a three cost three, one with stealth. And then ultimate, when you play another unit with stealth, reveal launching Azri to give it flying and uh, Aegis. And then it's uncommon ring of glamour is kind of a value card. It is a two cost relic. When you play a unit with stealth, draw a card. After the third uh, card, sacrifice Ring of Glamour to gain three life. So this is a, like a value engine, a good way to draw cards, gain a little life to make up for us using a card to do nothing. Um, but I've actually drafted a whole bunch of Elysian and never really drafted the Ring of Glamour all in on stealth units. I've just drafted a bunch of good primal cards and a bunch of good time cards and sort of called it a day. Uh, my main issue with Elysian has been that it is a little hard to have interaction. Um, you know, a lot of your interaction is stun based um, and so if you don't have a permafrost which is a permanent stun you know you're sort of holding off the problem or like you know there's bounce effects in time so you're not really ever dealing with the issue you're just hoping to, to put the issue you know put the problem off enough that you can kill them and the uh, elision's not always the fastest deck and so it's sometimes i i feel helpless when my opponent plays like a, a giant uh, justice flyer with endurance or something. I mean, there's not very many of those, but uh, it is difficult to deal with them if if they occur. Uh, I, I would say that Elysian does, is the closest thing to a an actual control style deck uh, or even a, like a flyers deck that the format has because time's 
units are are so good at holding the ground um and then primal does have a decent number of good flyers they don't have like anything huge but you can put a few things in the air and peck away um i think it's important to have cards uh like well specifically telekinetic shackles so um that if you find you are in a situation where you're trying to win in the air and your opponent is playing big things on the ground that are overwhelming your forces you can turn the tide with uh with shackles and uh it also again uh, anything that you're playing that's time-based and a little bit slower can splash pretty easily because you've got uh, extra extra splashing capabilities now so um you can you can play your illusion deck and maybe and maybe uh splash some other strong cards in, a, in another faction uh, I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with Elysian, but it, yeah, it doesn't. You're you are trying to win with unit based. You're trying to win by having better units than your opponent, <laughs> basically, uh, which is not a guarantee because there's good units in all of the factions. Yeah, yeah, that's been my mis- issue. Even sometimes in Elysian, like I sometimes feel like telekinetic shackles is at its worst because I've. I, I don't know, at least in my anecdotal experience, I've gotten myself into a situation where I'm ending up using it just to stay alive for another turn as compared to using it for, like, the big game-turning blowout. I um, mean, it's better in Comrade, but everything is. Yeah. <laughs> All of Time's commons are better in Comrade than Elysian. So yeah. that's just the state of things. All right. Uh, then... After Elysian is Xenon. Yeah, there's almost no theme in Xenon. Uh, the 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 theme of putting units in your void and having that make your cards on board be more powerful is so unsupported that it might as well not exist. If you end up in Xenon, it's because you got a bunch of good cards in time and a bunch of good cards in shadow, and you're playing them together now. Yes, I agree. I do think, what do you think about Clinging Scavenger? It's uncommon. The the four cost two, two flying when a unit goes to your void, it gets plus one, plus one. I mean, I'll play a, I'll play a two, two flyer for four anyway. Um, so it's fine. And the fact that it can get bigger is good. There's a handful of really insane combos with it, but you can never count on that happening. Like if you, if you've got a Mulder Muck and you've also got a Clinging Scavenger, then you can do silly things like sacrifice your your Moldermuck one ones on the same turn that you play Clinging Scavenger and start out with it as like an eight eight, but that's never going to actually happen in one of your limited games, so you can't draft around it. Uh, it's it's good but not great. I'm not going to go into Xenon because I get a Clinging Scavenger and I'm not going to take them early because a lot of the time it ends it's a two two on the turn that it comes down, it gets killed by a Blitzstone or a Detonation Can or any of the other million things that do two damage. Uh, you can't like stealth it in like when something's about to die. You have to cat. You have to summon it before you attack with things, and uh, so your opponent has a lot of information about whether uh, they want to tr- trade and make the clinging scavenger grow. I just don't think it plays very as a strong card. Uh, that's the, it. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. By all means, put it in the deck if you are Xenon, uh, and then occasionally will take over the game by itself. Uh, it's just not a reason to be Xenon. Next is Thelm. Thelm is pretty interesting. We've talked uh, a fair bit about how we've had trouble drafting Thelm, and we're not totally sure why. I think uh, the controlling Thelm deck is a little hard to draft, even though that's what Thelm often does. 
Uh, we have had a whole bunch of seven win aggressive film decks, uh, you know, using uh, primal flyers and shadow has a bunch of aggressive cards and sort of just dealing a lot of damage and winning. And then, you know, you, uh, you can use like their common, the surprise raid, which is a lifesteal deal two damage to an enemy unit. If you have a hidden unit, draw a card, um, you know, to clear a small, small blockers out of the way. Uh, one of the interesting things with Felm is their uncommon forging tritoe, um, which is the three cost three, one stealth. When it dies, play a one, one razor bot with deadly. And then when tritoe hits the enemy player, increase it's in tune by one is our biggest overperformer <laughs> in the format uh for we have for how many film decks we have we have a ridiculous number of foraging tritos in our spreadsheet i guess that makes sense it's a really strong card and it would be one of the main reasons to play film so uh that makes sense to me it's sort of uh, it, it sort of gives you more value than practically any anything else in the game, and it's just brutal if it ever actually connects with the opponent. Um, yeah, because even if it doesn't connect, it's it's almost a guaranteed two for one. It is. So I mean, that's good. It's just sort of hard to put together a coherent film uh, deck in in other respects. Though the aggro version makes sense because you've got like Glen Pathcutter, the um, one shadow two one that when it dies or just ends up in your void, however, uh, gives plus two strength to one of your units because then you have all of these flyers in in uh, primal and shadow that can get that bonus. And uh, you'll get these drafts all the time where you get a bunch of path cutters, but um, if you're in Stone Scar, there's not really anything great to put them on. But if you're in Felm, there's plenty of things. <laughs> so uh, that deck just sort of makes itself. And uh, Surprise Raid is a good card, whether you've got a stealth unit in play or not. It does two damage with Lifesteal, that's totally fine. It does that damage to your opponent's face if you need it to. It's a, just a good little card. Um, so there's a lot going for the aggro version of the deck, and it's just a little harder to put together the slow version of the deck, because Shadow doesn't actually have a ton of good removal in this format. I know it sort of feels like it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't have a, a card that just kills everything at common, like, it some, like Shadow sometimes does. Uh, so the slower control version of the deck... Um, doesn't have some of the tools that you would want it to. Uh, so once again, you're just playing units that you hope are better than your opponent's units and then attacking and blocking judiciously with them. All right. And then the final deck is Praxis, which is our worst performing deck. And we've mentioned it before. Praxis is just like a little bit all over the place. I think one of the reasons it doesn't do great is... There's no specific thing it really seems to be trying to do. It's cards don't mesh well, and like it's common uh, two-color card, uh, Spear Dancer is a three-cost 1-1 one, one flyer that requires an, another one of your units to hit the enemy player to grow. But even then, it's, in a, <laughs> it's spending at least two turns is a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2 two, two in best case scenario and so dies fairly easily and then you know there's time doesn't have a ton of aggressive cards to go with a, like a lot of fire commons and then fire 
you know, doesn't really have a ton of cards to 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 complement the uh, time cards. Yeah, there's not a coherent theme there. Uh, there are definitely some good cards. Searing Strike is a really good card. That's the uncommon that does uh, that does two damage for two. Um, Silence is a unit and does two damage to it, and then you get two power back immediately. There is actually a minor theme uh, of of uh, if you've cast a spell already or, or 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 hit your opponent already this turn, then you get a bonus, but it's not supported in any meaningful way. So it's a little hard to tell what uh, Praxis is trying to do. It, it might be trying to ramp. I'm not sure. Uh, there is there is some evidence that uh, that both fire and time can ramp you. But again, uh, you're going to end up in Praxis if both of those factions are open and and you're getting a bunch of good cards and then you just sort of do your best to make them work together. There's no theme like the Warcry theme in Mercano or the Discard theme in Arjunport where it's coherent and you can actually get to a point where you're drafting around a specific synergy at all. Uh, and I, I still maintain that in general, you're not going to be doing that anyway in this format very often, but some it's going to be a lot more often in Recano and Arjunport uh, than it is in Praxis, where there's no real synergy to look for in the first place. I do think Spirit Answer is going to be slightly better with more support for the go-wide kind of cards like Horn of Plenty and... Um, and the ones that I, I, the other ones that I mentioned earlier, um, but that doesn't mean that it's a good card. Uh, it just means that it's going to be a more playable card if you happen to be in that deck. Yeah, and I, I don't have much personal experience with Praxis, so I don't have a, a ton to say. I do think, you know, the fact that there are two fire units that give you a power burst, and they both aren't particularly good. There's the one one Grenadine that when it dies, you get a power burst. And then there is uh, the uncommon, uh, the three cost one that at the start of your turn plays a power burst. It's that's just that, like- That's that ramp that I'm talking about. It's kind of ramp, but you have to play pretty weak cards to make it happen. Exactly. The only good one is open way supplier. And I think Apprentice Mage is boosted too. Um, and those are those are good, but also you don't need to be in Praxis to use them. The ones in Fire are terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, cool. So th- those are the color combinations. Now I just we we kind of wanted to run down the uh, the top commons pretty quickly. You know the format has been out for a lot, but sort of just to give you guys an idea of what cards are appearing a ton, and then uh, if Hatsurai sort of, uh, you know, what our top commons in the in the colors are. So uh, first off, in the sheets, and one thing to note is that, you know, the ruins uh, appear pretty high um, in all of these. Uh, one of the nice things about the ruins, and one thing you shouldn't forget when you're drafting this format, is ruins are splashable. So you can play an off-color rune just to have the effect if your power base is good enough. And so some of these, you know, like the top fire common is Ruin of Flame. That doesn't mean only fire decks are playing Ruin of Flame. There are so many of these because non-fire decks are also playing Ruin of Flame, probably. And that's that's another little tip, uh, a little little life hack for drafting this format, is if there's not a card in a, in a pack that you're excited about, but there is a rune, no matter what faction it's in, 
just pick up the rune. It's like a free extra card uh, that replaces a, a power card in your deck instead of a real card. Mm. Uh, it's a real... It, the more you sort of get in the practice of doing that, the more you'll notice that you have like a ton of playables plus a bunch of, of, of uh, sigils that do things um, in your final deck. It's, uh, it's a quick, quick, easy way to get higher quality decks is uh, not to worry, not to pick up those sort of mediocre filler cards if you have a rune that you can be taking instead. Yes, and I think the runes are one of the hardest cards to evaluate, you know, because you see a card like the Justice Rune where you're like, okay, I'm paying five power for a slow speed plus four plus four. Like, how could that be good? But, like, you just think of the scenarios. Like, first off, you don't have to spend five. So it could just be a power if you if you have something for five that you want to do instead. In which case, fine card. Sigils are very, very important to your game plan. Um, the, the other cases you play, you do slow speed plus four plus four with a sigil, you know, with a power card. And then you get four extra damage in because they don't want to block, you know, they don't want to chump block your now larger unit. Or they do chump block and you've killed a card with a power card. Like, all all of those situations are pretty good. So even though you're like, oh, I would never play a slow speed plus four plus four, when it's quote unquote free, it becomes a lot better. We haven't really had a lot of power cards that are also spells before us, but uh, they're they're super good. If you ever played Magic the Gathering and drafted limited formats, uh, that it was a lot more common there, and you learned real quick that uh, any that lands that can also do things were some of the best cards to draft in limited. Anyway, all right. So then the fire top commons, and these are the cards that appear the most in our spreadsheet. Number one, Rune of Flame. Number two, Blood Spear Foot Soldier. Number three, Blitzstone. And number four, Detonation Cannon. So I would say don't necessarily pick Blood Spear Foot Soldier this high, but it is a, a good two drop. It's a 3 1 that is a pretty good two drop. And if you're in fire, you're probably aggressive and you want a lot of two drops. So a lot of them appear in your deck. And then Blitzstone and Detonation Cannon are great cards and cards that you're probably happy to first pick. Yeah, they're fine. They do right. they do their job. Yes. Time top comments. Number one, telekinetic shackles. Number two, open way supplier. Number three, populist controller. And number four, rune relocation. Yeah, and if you want to uh, uh, get into why telekinetic shackles is so good, uh, I called it <laughs> way back at the beginning of the format. <laughs> I explained why it's so great. Uh, it, telekinetic shackles is... The the main thing right now that I've noticed a lot is that Shackles trumps any other trick. Like if your fire opponent is playing Inno's Fury in order to make your, their uh, attacking unit kill your unit and then have a plus two strength uh, permanently on it for its next attack, Telekinetic Shackles just completely murders that plan it just ends it, it prevents all of the damage from the unit that is buffed and it dies usually so uh shackles is 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 better than the tricks in the other factions and cheaper 
and it amplifies, so it can completely destroy yes. a combat phase. Anyway, I'll stop talking about Telekinetic Shackles. I just like talking about it. It's one of my favorite cards that they've printed in a long time, unless my opponent has it, in which case it's, it's awful. It's the worst. So I, I guess my question to you, though, with this ordering, if mm -hmm. there was a pack with a Telekinetic, a pack one, pick one, with a Telekinetic Shackles, Openway Supplier, and a Populous Controller in it, which of these, which of the cards would you first pick? I'd probably take Openway Supplier, the, the first Openway Supplier before the first Telekinetic Shackles. Okay. But I would take, I, I would take Shackles over Controller. Over Controller, yeah. That's, and then if you already had an Openway Supplier, would you then take Shackles? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. Although, mm, I mean, if you've got two Openway Suppliers, then you can sort of, on purpose, try to draft units that will um, get Killer well. But already Openway Supplier... Uh, if you have two openway suppliers in your deck, you're already potentially giving killer to a, a one one. So it's you're already like uh, it's not a it's not a card that's great in duplicates. Even though it, you can kind of draft a ramp deck based on the fact that you've got a couple openway suppliers, <laughs> it's fine to have more than one openway supplier. But no, if I already have one, I'm going to take telekinetic shackles. Now that I've talked it through, I would rather have one of each than. Uh, than two openway suppliers early in a draft. Yeah. But if there's no shackles in the pack and I have an opportunity to get a second openway supplier, I will take the second supplier over the first populist controller. Even right. though it's great to get killer on a populist controller, I'm not worried about getting six drops. Even even the best six drop, I'm not worried about picking enough of those. Yeah, I, I think especially because, y you know, some... Like twit, <laughs> they're in the draft packs. There's some good cards too. So like getting killer on twin brood or whatever is very very good. There's plenty of good things to put killer on. Yeah, I mean there's uh, there's things with deadly. You know, there's scorpion watch. Like there's there's tons. You'll get enough. All right. So then justice number one is Urza Squadron. Number two is Tapple. Number three Inquisitive Alchemist, and then Ruin of Law. So this yeah. has not changed much throughout the format for us, and I kind of like this list. I think I take the first Urza Squadron over the first Topple and take those over Inquisitive Alchemist. But all three are very good. All right, so then on to Primal. Primal, number one is Freight Azuri. Number two, Rune of Trickery. Number three, Wild Azuri. And number uh, four is Boiling Geyser. So again... Uh, I kind of agree with this order. Uh, I, Freight Azri is probably the best primal uh, common. Wild Azri is very good, and it's a card that I sometimes first pick. Uh, Boiling Geyser is number four, but I think that has more to do with the uh, dearth of good primal cards than anything else because it is sort of an underperformer, which we've talked about in multiple episodes now. If if we're going on the premise that the, there's going to be people listening to this uh, who are, just want a primer on the on the format, like Boiling Geyser is, is fine. Rem it does three damage to uh, a unit that's entered play this turn. It only costs one. Um, it, the fact that it doesn't kill everything is a major downside for it, and we've, we've always found that it is better in more aggressive decks because it's an efficient way to get rid of your opponent's blockers that it tries to put in the way of your attacking force, uh, rather than using it as a control card where it's removal that doesn't necessarily kill the thing that you want to kill. 
All right. And then shadow top comments. Uh, number one is Glenn Pathcutter. Number two is Thorncrawler. Number three is Rune of Illusion. And then Shadow Path Intimidator. And uh, yeah, I think Glenn Pathcutter is a one drop. It's probably one of the best one drops at Common that's ever been printed. And then uh, the surprising card is number two, Thorncrawler, which I think if you're not you haven't played the format probably reads is a really bad card. So yeah, Thorncrawler kind of crawled its way into second place. Uh, it's as much as it's, it's as much a surprise to me as it is to anyone. Uh, it plays well just because it almost always at least gains four life and trades with something. Um, and because it has stealth, it uh, often will trade with something that your opponent didn't like it, it will trade up. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to block with like a one one when you don't know what you're blocking yet. Uh, so Thorncrawler will sometimes just make contact the first time, gain four life, and then now your opponent has to trade uh, with it anyway, and it gains another four life. Um, and there's not a ton of ways to gain life in this format, so uh, it uh, it it ends up like putting you ahead on in the game uh, fairly often. It is also the easiest stealth unit to detect if it refuses to enter combat because if your opponent has a thorn crawler, it is unable to block, and when you attack into it, there will be no pause. So that's your clue that you're facing a thorn crawler. Yes. No, that that is a good uh, tip. Uh, the other tip I wanted to mention with Shadow is uh, Shadow Path Intimidator. Uh, that is the two cost two two that can either cause a unit to, to not be able to block or cause a player to discard two cards. If you have cards like Glen Pathcutter or Alchemist in your deck, do not be afraid to target yourself with Shadow Path Intimidator. Yeah, you might just sort of get a random bonus uh, for free. You're not going to lose from running out of cards in your deck ever, not in this format. I've never seen it happen in this format. Other formats, yes, not this one. Uh, there's just not enough like milling abilities. Um, and if you are the type of player who cannot stand to see uh, cards that you would like to play go into your void, uh, you have to get over that. It is not, <laughs> it does not matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to read next the uh, the top uh couple uncommons and then hats you can pipe in if you disagree with this ordering uh in any way please uh all right so uh number one in fire is raging jackal which is the two the one cost two one with valor uh number two is evoker which is the three cost stealth that's a two three that uh that deals one damage to two units at the start of your turn and then uh, retrofitted Sentinel, which is the 4-2 that can gain charge or give the top unit of your deck plus 2 plus 2. Yeah, and that's that's probably the right order to take Fires on Commons. Yeah. All right, the top uncommons, and this is the number one uncommon uh, in that we have is uh, Behold the Truth, uh, which is the one, like I said, um, is the one time give plus one plus one and overwhelm you can amplify it to do infinite damage and win the game uh number two kind of surprising is sticky fly trap which is the three cost three three with stealth and then if you attack with your 
opponent attacks with the flying unit, they all get grounded um, for the turn, and then you can block them with your big ground units. And then oh. number three is Scorpion Wasp? Yeah, well, I wasn't going to read the the non-set 11 ones. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then we should have a third one that is from set 11, uh, well, <laughs> so that we have useful information. No, it's such a huge gap. It's not a big deal. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, no, I guess those are the only good uh, time on commons. Uh, that's fine. Can you uh, think guess... of the, ne the next one's the Mandrake guy? It's not that good. Okay. Yeah, no, the five-cost Mandrake one. I guess Botanist would be fourth then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so the next one is the, the Growing Sludge, which uh, kind of surprising. It hasn't appeared very often, but I think it's just it's hard to play a 5-cost 1-1 one, one in this one. You also don't need it because you have Populous Controller, which starts as a 6-6 six, six and only costs one more. It's a more reliable card, and it's a common, and it kind of fills a similar role. Yeah. Yeah, I think Growing Sludge is one of those cards where you lose to it when your opponent attacks with, like, a 31-31, and you're like, this card is crazy. But then you realize that you made a lot of unfortunate mistakes to let that growing sludge become a thirty-one, thirty-one, and yeah. uh, it's yeah. I well. I just don't find that board stalls are really so common that you, you that that your best strategy is to just kind of sit around while your one unit grows uh, too big to handle. Yeah. All right. Then next is uh, China, uh, Justice Top and Commons, um, and. Uh, number one is Orange Jailer. Uh, number two is Skysweeper. And number three is Oath Off Book Officer. All three really solid cards, and I'm super happy to first pick any of them. Yes, exactly. And then uh, the Primal Top Uncommons. Uh, number one is Grizzled Guard, which is the 4 4 with Aegis. And then when you block with it, uh, all your blocking units get plus two health. Uh, Merciless Officer, which is the three cost four two. Uh, and then you can intrigue it for, is that what it's called, intrigue? Yeah. Yeah, it is intrigue. Yeah. You can intrigue it to make it a five cost four five with Berserk. And then uh, <laughs> the next most appearing primal card is Foraging Tritop. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Primal's, the, the first two on that list are really good cards, uh, so, um, you know, they, uh, again, I'm happy to pick those things up early, but then there isn't really anything else. Uh, yeah, the next one really probably is Weather the Storm, uh, which is the four Primal Primal deal three to all non-stealth units. I've seen that work. Um, especially in like an Elysian deck or I guess a Felm deck with a lot of uh, stealth. Uh, but it's kind of like Cyber Combustion where it has seemed to underperform in the format, which is again a little surprising uh, in this format to me uh, because a lot of the units are small, so you would think it would kill everything, but it also kills all of your units. And since there's not a lot of good controlling decks, it really hasn't found a home in in my estimation. Mm -hmm. All right. And then uh, top shadow on comments. Number one, Hypnotic Valkyrie. Number two, D'Angelo Might. And number three, Glenn Sapper. Yeah, which is fine. I would actually take Glenn Sapper over D'Angelo Might these days. I think Glenn Sapper is just terrific, but um, but there's nothing wrong with Might. It's a powerful card. Uh, just yeah. very slow. 
Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that Glenn Supper is number three because it can just win games. And usually uh, cheap cards appear more often in decks and Glenn Supper is a one cost card. Um, so, you know, it's like, a, you know, kind of like in Fire where Raging Jackal's the number one uh, uncommon. And that's because <laughs> Raging Jackal's a one cost card. So you would put infinite numbers of them in your aggressive decks and yeah glenn sapper is kind of a weird one drop though because it it, it plays more like a seven drop <laughs> um it's it's a one one flyer for one but its ability costs six and that's where you discard your hand and then make two uh units with strength and health equal to the number of units in your void it is a card that wins games uh, but it is also very vulnerable if you play it before turn seven and immediately activate it yes Okay, and then the final thing I wanted to say for rares that you're looking about, the the couple things I wanted to say is time sketch. All the sketches are very good. Time sketches are number one overperforming rare. Uh, part of that is because you can play it in nine non time cards, non time decks too. But it it is our for how many yeah for how many times decks there are. Time sketch is sort of overperforming that. So I would take those early. Uh, next is D'Angelo Houndmaster, also a very good card. And then Valise Bear Rider and Hidden Crusader. All great cards. So this is compared to the this this is how often they appear uh, compared to the number of decks in their faction that we've received, right? Not yes. actually the most powerful rares in terms of how often they've shown up in winning decks overall no no because like uh the 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 rare that's appeared the most are justice sketch and kako um and that's just because we have the most justice decks right yeah yeah but, but those are those the, are one of the reasons that we have so many seven win justice decks is that the rares are absurd in justice they are they are all very, the top five, Justice Sketch, Kako, Manacles, Guardian Angel, Iron Priestess, all great cards. Yeah, so I think that's it. That's We've summarized the whole format. You guys should all get, I mean, I'm going to be disappointed if anyone listening to this loses a game this weekend. Yeah, um, that's, that seems impossible now. I'm looking forward to people who are taking the advice we're giving them now, defeating me in the tournament. <laughs> And then friending me after the game to tell me that that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please, please do that. Yeah. Post it on the Discord. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, thank, thanks for listening. Do you have anything else to say, Hats, or should we just end the show no, here? No, I think we sprinkled plenty of good tidbits and and uh, throughout the episode, and uh, that's probably a pretty good overview. Um of things uh who can say what will happen in the in the actual big tournament i don't even know if i'm gonna enter it yeah well i'm looking forward to it great so so we'll come back with at least one of our one at least one of us having played in it and with stories yeah possibly <laughs> I, I didn't say i was playing in it i said i'm looking forward <laughs> looking forward to it. that i can't make that promise that i just made at all and i retract it 
<laughs> all right. On that note, uh, that's our show. Thank you again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord, link in the show notes. Finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send all seven wind decks you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night.